up late last night. I'm exhausted. <laughs> well, uh, we're, we're so glad that you're here today. Uh, were, you, were you a little excited when the weather warmed up a little bit earlier this week? And then there's today. But, but I, was, I was excited. Like, I took out my garbage and recycling and was like, you know what? T-shirt's all I need. I'm feeling good about this. Right, that, it's, a, it's a good day. Yeah, some of you guys know what I'm feeling. Where you just, you, the sun hits and you're just like, oh, there's hope yet. There's hope yet. And I, and I had that moment. It's such a matter of perspective, right? Because back in the fall, the first time after our incredible summer that the temperature dropped below zero, you're like scrambling to put on every piece of clothing in your wardrobe and you're thinking like I'm not going to survive the winter there's like they don't make coats that are thick enough for this and then we we go and have a couple weeks stretch of minus 25 minus 30 and, and you get used to that and then you hit that like minus five and you're just like it's like a tropical vacation in Calgary it's the closest thing where you're going to experience here in Calgary but it's a matter of perspective right and today Today we're going to look at a passage where it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of where you're, where you're coming from. And so we've been going through this series in 1 John. And if you are new here or maybe you've missed a couple weeks, you can catch up online at our website and go from there. But we, we know a lot about John already. We, we know at this point it's later on in life. And your perspective changes later in life, so I've been told. Uh, I've been told, you know, that when you begin to look through and you're still at the beginning of your life, there's a different perspective than when you're not sure how many years you have left. There's a different perspective for John after having spent so much time with Jesus. It's a different perspective, different expectations. He's seen the perfect example. He's walked with him. And so, so he writes these words from a different perspective. So he, he comes here, and we're going to be talking at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7. If you want to open your Bibles there today, you can. What's interesting is in the book of 1 John, the word love is used 43 times in its various forms. There's only five chapters in this book. 43 times. And in chapter 4 and a little bit into verse 5, he uses the word love over 30 times. So in this short section, he is pushing love hard. I mean, he's going over and above. And that's because as he's going through, he's wrapping up his letter, he wants to make sure that we really understand where he's coming from. Really pushing that last significance. Of love. And so we get 1 John 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us one and only Son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It's a lot of love. I've realized we've probably heard so many messages on love. You've read the books. You've taught people on love. And so as, as we go into today, Man, I'll probably, it's going to be, it's going to be old news. But could we go in with just a, a fresh set of eyes and an open heart to really say, God, what, what can I take away today? So let me pray before we go any further. Father God, you've called us to love one another. Sometimes that's easier, easier with others. And God, today you... You want to speak to our hearts and would we be sensitive to examine our own lives, our own situations, and not just cast this message to somebody else, but to really take ownership of our own lives and our own actions and see where you're calling us, who you're calling us to love better. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for what you want to do today in your precious name. Amen. That was just a prayer. We're warming up today. <clears throat> well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael Andrew Poulin. I know. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the clap. Thank you. I know, I know, it's not, not a deep revelation, uh, but the pooling, the pooling always kind of gets people because uh, inevitably what happens is they go and they're like, oh, you're French. And yes, admittedly, my, my dad is French-Canadian. Don't hold that against him. Try not to hold that against me. Uh, but, but countless times, I'm there in a classroom growing, growing up, and they're going through the attendance sheet, and they're listing all the names, and they're going in alphabetical order, and they say, oh, Michael Poulin. Ah, comment ça va? Ah. Je m'appelle Michael. Uh, oui. And, and they assume that I know French. And I probably should French. I should know French. Okay, admittedly, you know, I, I blame my dad, you know. Uh, but I, I should know. I should have at some point in life, I probably should have taken this up. But I didn't. And I don't know how many times I would get in that, that conversation. It would happen when my dad would find the only other three Frenchmen in Calgary. Somehow, they always find themselves. But they go... And he, he would find that, that Frenchman, and they would begin to strike up a conversation. And somehow, they were like in the same line of work. And so, they're talking about all these sorts of things going on and on and on in French. And then, and then they would turn to me and begin to speak French to me. I didn't have any idea what they were saying. We, 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 we. I don't think he knows French. He probably shouldn't be saying yes to that. Not so many, so many times. You know, but there, there's, a, there's certain stereotypes that come. You have the, the last name, and maybe you, you have a certain last name where people can kind of recognize it and say, oh, yeah, that's from, that's from that part of the world. Okay, yeah. 
yeah, so you must be Scottish. Huh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you must be from there. You must be from there. So you, you can kind of go through the whole list. You know, oh, Michael, you're French. You must like poutine. Montreal smoked me. Yes, I do, but I don't always appreciate the stereotype. Yeah, there's lots of things. I, I, I probably should have picked up the language, but I didn't. You know, and there were there may be many embarrassing stories about that, but there were things that I did pick up. There were characteristics and attributes, just being part of my family, just having my parents where being born into them, and there, there were things that I adopted, right or wrong, that's, that's up to me to talk with my therapist about, but they are there. And so they're, they're attributes. And, and I share this not because I want to spend the first part of my message talking about myself, but we all have those attributes coming from our family where we can look and be like, yeah, I say certain things, I do certain things. Maybe you have that, that nose. People are like, Michael, you got that French nose. Like, oh, okay. I'm not sure. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know, but okay. We. Oui. Uh, and, and so I'll go. You will find out how limited my French vocabulary is today. But, I, but look at this. John in this passage is making this push for love. God is love. Everything he does is wrapped around love. There's nothing he does that doesn't include that. He bleeds love. His handiwork leaves behind the fingerprints of love. If somehow we could extrapolate his genetic makeup, we would find love there. Everything is motivated by love. He doesn't have to sit there and ponder, what does it mean to love my handiwork? He knows. He just is love. And so it's present there. Doesn't have to try and fake it, make it. Doesn't have to look up the definition. God is love. Love And so John goes through all of this and he brings it out and he says in verse 7, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So just when you get to this point where you're like, John, move on with the love already. He's like, no, do you understand that if you're born into this family, you should have the same attributes. There should be certain things that just come with it. Begins to plug it in there. The, The question then is, why are there so many times that I find it difficult to love? Why is it that there are those moments where I'm really just saying, God, I... Why am I having such a hard time with that? Said another way, why is it that God's children have a hard time being God's children? What is that that struggle? Maybe you have it there. Maybe you're here and you are not struggling to love anybody around you simply because you've removed all of those people from your life. I'm doing great, Michael. Everybody in my life is easy to love. I stay away from everybody who's difficult to love. Doing great in that area now. I mean, maybe it's just me. I've done it sometimes. I'm preaching this message to myself. It's tough sometimes. 
I mean, maybe there's a real, a bigger problem if everyone in your life is difficult to love. Uh, but, but we know that there's, there's some people. Maybe it's even just stages in life. Maybe it's your lack of, of sleep. Maybe it's just a, a stressful situation at work that it just, it's making that moment difficult to love. Whatever it is. You know, wherever you are in that journey, I think that we need to consider ourselves actually in a better position if we know of people in our life that are difficult to love. We're, pro- we're probably in a dangerous spot if, we're, if we can't think of anybody that's difficult to love right now. You're sitting there and you're, you're like, oh, yeah, no, no, it's doing pretty good. Maybe you're, you're in that dangerous spot because as I, as I look at the life of Christ, you, you see that he, he didn't run away from the scandals. He, he didn't avoid the annoying. He went in there. Maybe you're in a customer service industry and the question is, are you caring and loving to those that you serve? Maybe you're, you're a parent and you're thinking, oh yeah, I do a good job loving my kids. Do your kids see you loving other people? Have, have they been able to? Would, would, if we asked your children, would we be able to say, hey, do your parents show love to each other? Do they show love to others? Maybe that's the, the litmus test. Maybe you're a child here living at home. Would your parents say you're, you're loving? Oh, they know. They know I love them most days. Are we, are we loving? Pastor Todd talked about love a couple weeks back in its various forms. And it might be worth just looking at a definition of love today and, and just trying to simplify it, not trying to go all the way over to 1 Corinthians 13 and spend a whole time on that. But, but what, I, th- I think if we could look at John's intention here, we would see that, that love is really accurately estimating and meeting the needs of those around you. Love is accurately estimating and meeting the needs of of those around you. And when I think about that definition, I, I think of a particular story in mind. In the Bible, it's one, man, it's so used. An organization is named after it. Entire laws are based off of its premise. And you can go find it over in Luke chapter 10. And if you want to turn there, you can. We'll kind of skim a little bit through the story. In Luke chapter 10, there's an expert of the law. And he sees Jesus. There's some jealousy there going on. And so he, he wants to try and get his, his expertise in there. And so he says, hey, hey Jesus, you know, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 10, 25. And Jesus just kind of like, that's a dumb question. I don't think Jesus would say that's a dumb question. But he says, what is written? It's, it's a weird question because the person should have known. He was an expert of the law. I don't know if you ever found yourself uh, in class where you really want to ask a smart question. You're really like, yeah, I need to make, I need to make like my voice known. I need to, need to present myself to the teacher. So you try and think of a smart question to ask. You put your hand up and they're like, yes. And then you ask what you feel like is a really smart question. And then they give you that blank look. 
and maybe they like point to the screen and the answer's right on the screen. I think this is that moment that the expert of the law had where he asked Jesus a question and Jesus is like, haven't you memorized this? What is written? And so the the expert, he's kind of feeling like, oh, no, i got to justify myself. Yeah, well, i got to love the Lord your God. I know what's there, you know, with all your strength, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is like, yep, you seem to get it. He says, no, 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 I need, need to justify myself here. He said, but, but who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That's actually a really racially charged question. Because no doubt, the expert of the law would have been right there in a room full of people from all over the world, many of which the expert of the law would be happy to never see again, would be happy to see out of his city. So he says, well, you know, who is my neighbor? Because you know, surely God didn't intend for this guy over here to be my neighbor. Certainly I can be a neighbor to my, my fellow Jew over here, but oh, these other guys. Let's just get rid of them. And then we have this story that Jesus shares of the Good Samaritan. We know it well. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place... And saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He, d- he doesn't even say the Samaritan. He's so repulsed with the idea of the Samaritan. Just as the, the one who had had mercy, had pity. And Jesus Jesus doesn't really even answer the, who's your neighbor? Just, yeah, go and do likewise. Doesn't really say, who's my neighbor? Because Jesus kind of changes the whole paradigm there. He's kind of saying, no, you have the wrong perspective. It's not, who is my neighbor? The question we should be asking is, to whom will you be a neighbor? To whom will you be a neighbor? And you can only answer that day by day, case by case, situation by situation. But we see that in the life of Christ. He didn't shy away from a people group, a segment of the population, because of how it might impact or influence his testimony. The woman at the well the blind man who interrupted his travels, which he healed? How about the lady who who stretched out her arm to touch the hem of Jesus and to be healed? 
was healed and Jesus stopped to acknowledge her all while Jesus was already doing a spontaneous trip to help somebody else. In some ways, you kind of look at it and you're, you're like, did Jesus have nowhere else he had to be? Like certainly if Jesus had your schedule and my schedule, if he had our commute to work and had to drop our children off and had to go to work for as many hours as you go to work, certainly Jesus would not have had that much time. But yet there it is. And I think this is an important thing to, to not miss out on is that while, while he was on mission, He never gave up an opportunity because people are the mission. Dallas Willard, a theologian who brings this to light, says this. The condition of our hearts will determine who along our path turns out to be our neighbor. And our faith in God will largely determine whom we have strength enough to make our neighbor. Who can or will be your neighbor today? Well, maybe it's the the helpless and the downcast. Certainly, it's going to be that person who's good to pay you back. You know, they were mistreated, but they're, they're good for it, so we'll help them. The abandoned child or the abandoned child and their, the mother, we're certainly going to take care of them. These, these seem like easy ones. But uh, what about the annoying and the compromiser, the rude, the difficult and the frustrating, the repeat offender, the disrespectful, the dishonoring, or the disingenuous. Maybe it's the the competing business. To whom will you be a neighbor? Maybe it's a, a spouse who wasn't who wasn't faithful or, or just just isn't reciprocating the same level of love that you show them time and time again. I'm not going to keep, I'm going to keep loving them. They got to show me some love back. They probably should. To whom will you be a neighbor? Maybe it's the disgruntled employee or employer, coworker. Maybe it's, you know, it makes the vehicle on the side of the road look a lot lot easier to help. Maybe, uh, maybe it's a student in the hallway that, that you're beginning to think that they just have it out for you. Maybe it's an elderly parent who's losing their freedom in their old age and they're taking it out on you, the child. Who is your neighbor? Love, accurately estimating and meeting the needs of those around us. John's just pounding us through with love. But then he gets to this section back over in John where he, he writes on love and love and love and then he throws this, this thing in and I kinda, I'm kind of thinking that maybe he just lost his train of thought. Kind of thinking that all of a sudden, John, you just kind of, this is a senior's moment. I'm not sure. No offense, seniors. But, but, but there it is in verse 12. He's talking about love. and well, We've got to love one another. And then all of a sudden, verse 12, no one has ever seen God. What? Uh, what? 
I don't know if you ever have that. You're talking to somebody and then they just go and veer in a completely different direction. My wife says I'm horrible at transition. She'll be talking about who's taking the kids to school. And the next thing I'm like, I'm talking about a vacation. She's like, what? what where we go? Where'd you just go? How did you just get to that? It makes sense in my head, but, but I haven't transitioned it at all in it. And John's here, and he's talking about love. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Just kind of this random, like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen God either. Have you, have you seen God? No, okay. Well, let's just keep loving people. Okay. And, and I thought about that and began to look into it a little bit more. And it, it brings to mind this idea of a seed. Imagine a a fruit tree seed. Now you go ahead and, and you plant, and then it begins to grow, and maybe there's some branches, and then there's some leaves. And a little time, a little more time passes, and all of a sudden one day maybe you get a piece of fruit. You got that that orange off your tree and bite into it, and you're like, that's that's awesome. That's great. But but then then there's something else here. Is if we take the seed from that original plant. And then we go and we, we plant it over here. And that grows up. Little baby tree, and now it's a big tree, and now it's a mature tree. And now that tree has fruit. Even though we have never seen the original tree, we know it's fruit. And we know what it is. And we know its attributes and its characteristics because of its offspring, because of what we've taken from it. And so John says, though we've never seen God, we can know him, we can know the attributes because of the people who are loving. And I think, I think through in my own life of times when people have loved on me, where they've, they've met my needs and exceeded expectations. For a semester in college, I, I stayed with some people that I knew, and they they rent out uh, a bunch of their rooms in their house. They kind of do some room and board, and uh, I always kind of thought it was like a good gig for them because I'm like, man, you, they had this massive house. They got some Bible college students who would rent it out, and I'm like, they're making good money, bringing us all in. I'm like, that's a good financial. That's them. They're thinking like, financial freedom right there and they, they've got their head on business smarts and <clears throat> one day I uh I go and I, I'm sitting down with him like yeah I was like you guys really like you know what you're doing here you've got the this hookup where you got college students coming in room and board and they're the things are going good and I'm kind of thinking like yeah they're gonna they're gonna impart some business sense into me an impartation and they're like, yeah, you know, it's, it's not really about the money. Like, houses, you know, we're good for retirement. We're not worried about that. The house is paid off. They're like, no, it's really just kind of covers some of the expenses. You're like, you know what? What we're really about is we, we realized that there were all these students. And the cost to, to go to college and university is so much. And they thought, we can't, we can't do a lot about that but what we can do is we can open up our house and we can have people come here and stay for next to nothing and 
it's just neat to think that maybe one day there'll be pastors or missionaries or giving back to other people. Kind of like, oh. <laughs> oh, so that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah, I'm studying to be a pastor. <laughs> I appreciate them. I appreciate one of the professors that I had found out that my, my vehicle needed to go to the shop. They, once again, knew how, how broke I was. And I didn't even go and talk to, to him about it at all. He just found out through the grapevine. And all of a sudden, he comes to me and says, Hey, Michael, what are you doing about your car? I don't know. Do, do I need to get it out of the school parking lot? Because I'm not sure it drives. <laughs> no, he's like, you, you got like a mechanic. You got a plan? No. I was living out of town at the time. I've got nothing. I don't know what I should do. Okay, I'm going to make some phone calls, and I'll get back to you. And was, okay, thanks. I'm kind of expecting, like, a phone number for a mechanic and kind of see what I can do. And he's like, comes back, and he says, hey, he's like, I got a mechanic. You just need to go and pick up the part, bring it to him. He'll just charge you for, for the part. He's not going to charge you for anything else. And he's like, can you get the vehicle over there? I'm like, No. He's like, okay. He's like, I'll call AMA. They'll come tow it right away. Boom, we'll get this taken care of. I'm like, I, I can't pay you back. <laughs> Please don't make me write another paper. <laughs> He's like, no, don't worry about it. I got it taken care of. You know, love is accurately estimating meeting the needs of those around us. And maybe we all have those stories where, where we can go and Think about times when we've been blessed and we've received from other people. But, but what's it going to take to be those people who are reciprocating the blessing and are being those people around? And what, what would our families look like? What would our marriages look like? What would the halls of your school look like if you began to choose one or two people and began to say, I'm going to love them no matter what? I'm choosing to be their neighbor. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for them. I'm going to intercede for them. And then, I, and then I'm going to actually do some practical things for them. Maybe some of you here today are like, I, I don't have much, but I've, I have tools. I'm mechanically inclined. I can renovate something. Maybe some of you aren't so handy, but you have finances. And you're saying, I might not be able to help somebody in this way, but I can go and do this for them. Love. It's accurately estimating meeting the needs of those around you. I think we would be so tempted to take this message and just tag love on to what we're doing. To go and be a little kinder to the door greeters on our way out. To maybe uh, tip just a little bit more when we go to the restaurant. To maybe acknowledge our barista. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to love on them. But can we do more than just tag love on to our life? Can we make it a part of who we are? Can we begin to say and be and do what God has called us to be? To be his hands and feet to be the generosity, to be the strength, to be the hope of God, no matter where we are, no matter who we meet. So I don't know where you are. I don't know where you're at. 
I know in my own life, one of my, my struggles is that I, I tend to spend so much time being preoccupied with myself. I gotta watch my kids. Man, I hope somebody can, can bless me over here. Man, I need God's provision over here. Now, I wonder what people think about me right now. I wonder what people think about me then. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Maybe I should have done this. Man, well, can, we, can we change our perspective today? Just get it back to being on mission to what God's called us to do.